part of TheFinsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Joshua Houts and Aaron Sutton. And as we preview this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, we're also being joined by Zach Goodall from Locked On Jaguars, covering the Jacksonville Jaguars and also the NFL Draft. Zach actually getting... Senior Bowl credentials this year, so we'll talk about that, Zach. But welcome to Finsider Radio. Thank you for joining us here on this preview episode for one of the most exciting matchups in the NFL this coming weekend. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me on. I feel like this pod is going to be a lot more entertaining than the three hours we're going to spend watching the game on Sunday. Yeah, so the over-under right now for the Jaguars versus Dolphins stands at 38. The Dolphins coming in with a 7-7 and record. The Jaguars coming in with a 4-10 record. But we know both offenses... No uh, no uh, greatest show on turf. None of this air raid stuff. It is probably you know some of the worst offense you could possibly see. And interesting enough, Adam Gase, of, as we all know, as we've all talked on this show, offensive guru, but not so much here with the Miami Dolphins. Both teams ranked towards the bottom of the leagues in all categories. Cody Kessler, your quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Zach. Leonard Fournette, D.D. Westbrook actually coming along pretty nicely, though, with Kessler at the helm. As we head into this game, Zach, can you just talk to us mainly about the Jacksonville offense? Where does the offense stand right now? What kind of threat do they pose, if any? What can we expect from Leonard Fournette? We know he's kind of dropped off this season with injuries and production and, and on and off the field. What's the general sense we can get from the Jaguars' offense? Or when they go up against our Dolphins' defense, are they going to light it up? Um, I'm just struggling trying to think of like a weapon that they even have, because <laughs> if they had one, I'm sure they'd try and use it. But the offense has been pretty anemic throughout the entire, you know, season, other than the first couple of games of the year where they had things rolling their way. But, um, Dee Westbrook, I mean, he's been playing mainly slot, but occasionally splits out wide. He's turned into probably one of the best separating route runners in the entire league. Really, really fast. People thought he'd come in and be a deep threat, but they really polished him up in the short game. And honestly, I think that's Cody Kessler's best friend because I think he threw it past 10 yards last week more than – I think he did it twice. So that's just kind of his thing is he tries to keep things in the short game and try and create yards after the catch. And it doesn't help that the Jaguars' left tackle, I believe, is they're on their fourth starter there, second or third starter at left guard. Uh, second starter at center, and then the two guys that actually are still starting on the line that were the start of the, start of the year just really suck. So <laughs> all in all, it's been really, really bad for this Jaguars offense. Injuries have hurt. Quarterback play is hurt. And at the end of the day, you know, everything right now is hurting this offense. Bet the under, bet the under, bet the under this upcoming weekend. Zach, thanks for joining us. You know, I know Jacksonville doesn't have chance of the playoffs. I'll call the Dolphins' chances a, a Wiley E. Coyote chance. <laughs> you have the over-under of 38. But what we're all forgetting is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were real soft this year in their schedule. Didn't schedule anybody from the state of Florida. So this de facto game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins is the battle for Florida. So everyone <laughs> be turning into this game. But no, let's let's address the elephant in the room. Should the Dolphins and Jaguars just go ahead and have a Kumite 
for a 2000 <laughs> quarterback because that's essentially what we're looking at. And have you had a chance to look at this quarterback class yet? Who do you like so far? I have, and I think probably the most ready to play out the gate is Dwayne Haskins. And that's kind of like weird to say, considering this is his first full year as a starter. He's a redshirt sophomore. Granted, he is 21. He's going to be turning 22, I believe, the week after the draft. So he's a little older for considering what class he's in. But I think he's probably the most polished to, at bare minimum, do a dink and dunk type of offense, West Coast, and be really effective at it. But he's got so much untapped potential to do more in the vertical game, become an all-around passer, because he's got a really accurate throw. He's got a powerful arm when he's utilizing it. He's not mobile in a sense that he'll break off on a run like Lamar Jackson or even like Blake Bortles has done in the past, but he's mobile enough to move the pocket, adjust well under pressure. It's something he really grew on throughout the entire year, because at the start of the year, he really struggled versus pressure. Final six, uh, six games, including uh, Maryland, Michigan, couple other ones he really started to show off that he had grown under pressure and considering how much he's grown during this you know 12 games of starting I just I'm really curious to see one more he can do at the NFL because it's been that impressive I've gotten to see Justin Herbert I, I get why people like him and I do, I like what he's able to do as a thrower he's very natural he's got you know a great size at 6'6 233 I think he is really mobile. He's able to do a lot of things that you want your uh, quarterback to do. But when he's going up against interior pressure, which he's going to see a lot more of in the NFL and he sees in the Pac-12, it gets bad. He either panics way too early and sometimes he's not even getting pressure, but he feels like he is and he just escapes and misses something. Or he gets drilled because he likes to keep his eyes downfield, which is great. That's a great trait you want to have in a quarterback, but... At the same time, if that's stopping you from seeing a blitzing linebacker shooting the B-gap coming to hit you and you get your helmet knocked off, you don't want to see that. And I feel like that happened a lot for him during his three years at Oregon. I actually would think it'd probably be best for him to go back for another year. Whether he does or doesn't, I'm not sure just yet. But I'd say if you're looking for a quarterback in this class to change your franchise, those are the two guys that offer the best ability to do that. There's a real drop-off after that. I personally like Daniel Jones as a West Coast offense fit and nothing more. But, I mean, he's got a really safe floor and not a high ceiling. And Will Greer, I get what there is to like. There's also, you know, a couple issues with some meh decisions that he makes every now and then. But the dude has got a really, really nice arm with amazing placement when he's on and playing well and making his reads. So, otherwise, I probably wouldn't touch this class. Zach, let's shift focus back to this week's game. It's going to be the Toilet Bowl. We all know this. But you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're 4-10. They made it to the AFC Championship game last season. I jokingly said if Ryan Tannehill was their quarterback, maybe they made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, whether you feel the same about that is <laughs> to be decided. But, I mean, you look at them statistically, and the defense is still playing well. They're sixth in the NFL with total points, sixth total yards, second against the pass, 19th against the run. So when you bring a Dolphins offense into this game who I mean they've been anemic as of late other than that Miami Miracle Keelan Balazs broke off some big runs last week how do you see this defense attacking the Dolphins because I think the Vikings put down a pretty nice blueprint as to the way to you know I mean Mike Zimmer just pretty much blitzed the hell out of Ryan Tannehill and he, he got sacked nine times and he just he stands in the pocket too long he doesn't make his decisions quick enough so how do you see this Jacksonville Jaguars defense attacking that Miami Dolphins offense 
I love to say that they should do the same thing. I can almost guarantee you they will not. And it's not to take away from the talent that they do have on their defense, because I still believe it's probably the most talented defense in the league, uh, whether that's a hot take or not. On paper, you could certainly argue that they're not, but I do believe that they are. And they're really held back by poor uh, schematics. And Todd Wash, the defensive coordinator, is a disciple of Gus Bradley. And we all knew how that worked out here in Jacksonville. It's, um, you know, the form, the basic idea of his defense is really nice. You want to get as much pressure as you can with as little pass rush as you can, per se. Like, they like to rush four. They don't want to send more than four rushers at a time to the point where they blitz the lowest amount in the NFL. And that's great that you've got four guys that can get pressure. Teams know how to take that on as they watch film on you. And the lack of adjustments to that has been what will probably end up getting Todd Wash canned at the end of the year. Back in coverage, they like to run cover three with the occasional off man. They won't press nearly as much as they should, especially considering you have uh, Jalen freaking Ramsey, who's probably one of the best press cornerbacks in the NFL when he actually gets to do it. They just don't take advantage of his skill set nearly enough to make that happen. And like I said, I mean, when Todd Wash at the end of the year will probably be gone, and it's because this defense is so talented, but they just will not adjust to what other teams can give them. And you said it perfectly. I think Ryan Tannehill is suspect to taking a lot of sacks. Jacksonville should be able to take advantage of that. I just I don't trust it at this point. I don't see them sending enough blitzers. It's especially considering we're in week 16 and we haven't seen that adjustment yet. I just don't know if it's going to happen now. We're joined here on Finsider Radio by Zach Goodall from Locked On Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars headed to Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday. The Jacksonville Jaguars 1-5 on the road. The Miami Dolphins with an impeccable home record. A win on Sunday would give them a 7-1 mark at home this season. The franchise best since 2002. House in Sutton. We've seen the Dolphins absolutely dominate at home at Hard Rock Stadium. We've seen them flounder on the road. When we look at this defense and this offense, it's just light and day. And we talked about it on the show. We've talked about it ad nauseum on Twitter and on the website, thefinsider.com. We talk about the discrepancies and we tried to pinpoint what exactly is happening. We can't quite put our finger on it. Zach, you know, with the Jaguars, with the one and five record on the road, one and four conference in the division, the three and seven div- uh, record in the conference, your three and five record at home. We've been trying to figure out what's been going on with the Dolphins, and we can't quite put our touches on it. But when you look at the Jaguars, right, what do you think would be their problem for their road records? I mean, obviously, it's not a great season. And last year, you made it to the AFC Championship game. But did you kind of see this last year as well? Um, At points, I did. It was just, um, I think the team as a whole overachieved last year. And that's not to discredit them because I last year was just absolutely wonderful for Jaguars fans and the team alike. I mean, they did play incredibly well, but it wasn't something that they could bring into this year with the same expectation level to see that dominance of a performance from their defense and the offense to be able to get just enough done to, um, you know, be in sync with that defense. They, they believed that they could, that's why they extended Bortles, but that formula teams pick up on it. It's not something and to have like the injury luck that they had last year. It just, there was no way that they could possibly replicate that. They bought into it. 
teams realize that, hey, you get their offense off their rocker, the defense can only do so much when, you know, they're out there getting tired. And then what makes it worse is the offense comes out and puts out a three and out and the defense is right back on the field. So you'll see early in games, the Jaguars defense looks really good. When teams start running the ball down their throat right after the offense just puts up, you know, miserable, miserable showings on the offensive side of the ball, the defense just starts to give out. And I don't know if I can blame them too much because they're on the field way too much. The time of possession might not show it because I don't really know why. It just you can you can tell when you're watching the game that the offense is way too quick on and off the field and it's hurting the defense and it hurt them. So quite honestly, as much as the Jaguars offense as a whole has had issues, if they bring in someone like Kirk Cousins this past off season or obviously, you know, sucks with his injury now but you can't assume that he has the same thing here but Alex Smith in this past offseason or drafting Lamar Jackson or moving up for a quarterback last year and realizing that you got lucky with the one year Blake Bortles gave you I truly believe that this entire team might be in a different situation with a quarterback change where the offense wouldn't be dragging literally every aspect of this team down. Zach I feel like you're speaking to me when you're talking about inconsistencies of your team, you know, it's a little bit of offense. It's a little bit of defense. It's a little bit of coaching. What I've found with the Dolphins is that in our last six losses at, in critical junctures of the game, our defense has given up three consecutive scores in every single one of those games. So the defense tends to break down for us at the worst time. So I would be looking for the Jaguars to possibly be more successful later in the game than maybe you're accustomed to. But let's kind of flip the script a little bit and talk about kind of something in a vacuum, so to speak. And that's the idea of tanking. How <laughs> how do Jacksonville fans respond to that theory? Because I have presented this in what I would consider very uh, digestible ways and not such a like in-your-face sort of way. But Dolphins fans really, really get threatened by the idea that a team should lose on purpose. How do Jacksonville fans feel about that? Considering a lot of you probably think, man, if we just had a quarterback, we could be looking at a Super Bowl. I, um, just because of, you know, what I do and the expectation level of the work that I actually do from fans, I should never say that I want the Jags to lose. I'm, totally not upset when when they do lose because I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, really they might be a quarterback away from being a true contender again. That's And obviously, you know, a little bit better on the injury side of things. But other than that, I do think that that, that close. Their record might not show up, but I, I do think that. And Jaguars fans that really believed in Bortles through the thick and through the thin would hate the idea of that concept. If he were on the field, they'd be saying, you know what, they're just trying to juice as much out of Bortles as they can because there's still hope that he can turn it around. I really don't get the blind optimism. But as soon as Cody Kessler went in, that's exactly what those fans that are still believing in Blake were saying. Oh, they're throwing the season. Kessler's worse than Bortles. All yada, yada, yada. I don't think Kessler's any good. I do think he does what this Jaguars offense wants as long as they're healthy better than what Bortles wanted the offense to do. And a lot of people disagree with that. That's fine. I, It's it's a meaningless debate because neither of them are going to be the quarterback next year. But either way, um, I think 
they would never tell you that they're tanking. If you watch the defense's performance against Tennessee, including that 99-yard touchdown run against Derrick Henry where it looked like they were just kind of whiffing and it had to it looked like it had to have been somewhat intentional on some of the whiffs they had. You could probably talk to these guys off the record and be like, "Yeah, I I I'm out. <laughs> I've been out for a couple of weeks now." Um in a way to kind of ensure that they get the quarterback. And what makes it nice is Jalen Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe followed Dwayne Haskins on Instagram the other day. So we're already getting into the blind optimism that is draft season. (laughs) Yeah, Zach, I can attest to how uh, dysfunctional Twitter can be if you sit there and even suggest that maybe tanking is in the best interest of your franchise moving forward. I don't think any of us can argue that tanking isn't in these NFL players' DNA, but as us fans, I mean – you can't sit here and tell me if you don't think Adam Gase isn't the answer in Miami that losing these next two games uh, significantly raises his chance of being fired. You mentioned Derrick Henry. You mentioned those business decisions being made. I think that a lot of people, their fantasy hopes and dreams, you know, went down the shitter when that went down. Uh, I don't know. Do you play fantasy football, Zach? I do. I've, I've played for about six years. Um, my very first year that I ever played, I was in my high school championship and then the next four years looked like the Blaine Gabbert days of Jaguars football. But this year, for the first time since six years ago, I'm back in my league's championship. Really <laughs> pumped up about that. <laughs> Congratulations, man. So I'm, I'm shifting this over to fantasy football a little bit, but it's going to come back to the Dolphins and how poor they are against the run. I drafted Leonard Fournette this year in a couple leagues. Uh, I was kind of all in on him. It was a terrible year to draft him <laughs> between the injuries and – you know, he's beating people up, whatever it may be. But you look at this Dolphins defense, and they are terrible against the run. They got gashed last week by Dalvin Cook, who prior to that game, he was running around on one leg. So right now they're ranked 31st in the NFL. What, how do you see this Jacksonville Jaguars offense attacking them? I imagine it's going to be on the run uh, against on the run game. I mean, they're going to have Leonard Fournette, TJ Yeldon. I think Carlos Hyde, is he out for the year? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But you guys got these different pieces there, a three-headed monster that could attack this Dolphins run game. Do you see them going that way, or do you see them maybe trying to use some play action and beat the Dolphins on the outside? I, uh, I wish I knew because I, I set up an expectation level for some games thinking, okay, this could be the one where the run game finally finds its groove again or – hey, Cody Kessler might not got, get hit on every other drop back this game, and they usually come out and disappoint me. Um, I'd say that they want they still want to run the ball. Leonard Fournette has not been any good when he's even been on the field this year. There was a couple game stretch where he looked like he was back to normal and things. Then the Bills suspension came, and the past two games have been really, really miserable. Like no acceleration, no ability to cut not even the power that they drafted him to use in short yarded situations. Like there was a couple of years ago where the Jags were playing. Um, I'm struggling to remember who in, in London and Toby Gerhardt got four handoffs at the one yard line to try and break the plane and score all from the one yard line. First, second, third, fourth time he came up short and Fournette nearly repeated that against Houston. It was Within two yards of scoring, and he got three handoffs in a four-play stretch because they went for it on fourth down and missed, and he came up short on each one. And that's they drafted him to be the power back. Like they drafted for him to, they drafted him to be able to convert those plays ten out of ten times. And we're not seeing that type of power out of him. So I have real concerns about him at this point. I was a believer in him before the season as well. I thought that there was a bit of a poor narrative out there on his style of play. 
and that yards per carry suddenly became important to those people that really love to break down RBs. It just didn't make sense. But, you know, I, I'd love to see him bounce back. His past couple of games don't really give me hope for that, whereas TJ Eldon is going to probably be the consolation prize for someone that doesn't land Le'Veon Bell this year. I think he's been really solid in the role they've given him when he was starting uh, for Fournette at some point. He was playing really well, so I honestly believe in him a little bit more than I do believe in Fournette to you know get something going in the run game as well as a bit in the pass game. So I wouldn't be shocked if he had himself a decent game and Fournette you know, just keeps sliding on what's been a really bad year for him. Zach, as we look ahead to Sunday's game, what is your prediction to just to here to wrap up, you know, this part of the show, your prediction for Sunday's game, of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars hot topic around Doug Marone and his future there also in Miami, even though it's, it's a weird situation in Miami because you have them still able to make the playoffs. And while it's almost a far-fetched idea. It's not really, especially if the Ravens lose on Saturday against the Chargers and then the Colts lose against the Giants. Then we need the Titans to win next week. But also, they have the ability to win the AFC East, which is crazy. And the Patriots, while they have to play the Jets and the Bills, it is a divisional game. They just lost Josh Gordon. Their offense is a mess. So there are lots of possibilities and lots of paths for the Dolphins to make the playoffs but it seems like Dolphins fans have given up on the season. And we know Jacksonville Jaguars fans have given up on the season. So before you give us your prediction for Sunday's game, just kind of talk to us about what the feeling is about Marone. And if you have any outside view of Adam Gase and the Dolphins coaching staff as well. So with Marone, um, I'm neither here nor there. I actually, you know, in a better circumstance than what he's been given this year, I like him. I think he's a fine coach. I don't think he's been truly the issue, but everything has crumbled around him. And he's the type of guy that won't ever put blame on anyone but himself. So people honestly kind of compare him to Eeyore, making him sound like he's all like depressed and shit, which is fine because he's the head coach. That's how it's supposed to work. And I, I, it honestly makes me respect him even more. I'd be fine if he was replaced, if you could find a better option at head coach. And, I just don't know who all will offer that because I haven't really dove into the head coaching market for this year. There certainly are some guys that probably offer a bit more than he would, but I'm totally fine if he was the head coach next year. And I know Tom Coughlin will be making the quarter of the, well, not just the, the head coach pick, the quarterback pick, all that kind of stuff. I think the reins are going to be fully handed to him, even though they said that they were as soon as they hired him. I don't believe that's been true at all. And I think that that will end up switching to being everything will be his call this offseason. And Marone was one of his two guys that he loved for the head coaching position. It was either going to be him or Josh McDaniels. So considering what Josh McDaniels did to the Colts last year, I don't see them putting much trust into him actually coming and taking the job without bailing on them. (laughs) So um, I think Marone will stay. I think they'll hire new coordinators. With that could come some new position coaches. Some old ones could stick around like, receiver coach Keenan McCardell because he's got such a you know he's a big part of this franchise he used to play here now he's a coach here and he's gotten some stuff out of low draft picks and undrafted free agents as a coach so I I think he's the type of guy that would stay whereas some other guys like the quarterback coach Scott Milanovic would go because duh um so I think Marone stays I'd be fine with someone else as for Gase 
I, I don't know enough about him to make a definitive call. It's just every now and then I'll see a quote from a Miami player that makes me think, yikes. Like as recently as, I think it was Rashad Jones saying, you know, I'll do whatever coach says, but I shouldn't be essentially saying I shouldn't be playing where I'm at, where I could be playing a different position better. And I'm blanking on exactly what it was. I think he said that he would prefer to play strong safety. I could be wrong, but stuff like that. Um, I feel like I've seen quotes like that throughout the year and in the past, obviously with guys like Jay Ajayi and um, I'm blanking on who else, but just every now and then you'll see a quote that, I mean, I'd obviously have concerns of a player coming out and saying that with a head coach who's supposed to be like a disciplinary and a guy that you should respect, you know, I feel like that it's got to be a little bit troublesome, right? Like I, I, I don't know. Cause like you guys said, I'm just an outsider here. I don't have all the info on it, but whenever I see that coming from Schefter or something like that, I immediately get a little bit concerned for whatever Gase might be doing behind the scenes. All right, and Zach, your prediction for Sunday's game, what do you got? Like I said, to start the show, uh, bet the under. Um, not as a disrespect to Miami, but more so a disrespect to the Jaguars' offense. And at the same time, praising what they still, I do believe, can do on defense. Um, I, I have Miami taking it, no matter what. Uh, their home record indicates that enough, as if the Jaguars and their ability to play just in general this year hasn't hurt them enough to make me bet against them. Um, I'll say Miami takes it by a score of 17 to 10. All right. Zach Goodall from Locked On Jaguars. Zach, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Get your popcorn ready. Sit back. Get those alcohol drinks ready. Get the soda ready. Get the sparkling cider ready. It is going to be one hell of a game on Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. That's right. Um, Make sure to have the alcohol ready. (laughs) (laughs) thanks Zach have a great day take care thank you you guys too all right that was Zach Goodall from Locked On Jaguars and how it's in Sutton before we wrap up the show here just a few quick hits for the Miami Dolphins as I said to Zach it's a weird situation in terms of where this team stands right now a lot of uncertainty a lot of upset fans and it's almost kind of funny and ironic the Dolphins chose to go with the throwbacks on Sunday it's almost like the management, upper management saying, we know you aren't happy with this team. Let's give them something to be excited about. And, and it almost kind of confirmed that. I almost tweeted this out when they first came out with that announcement. And it almost kind of confirmed that when Adam Gase said in his press conference on Friday that he doesn't really care what they wear. So that tells me that he really didn't go to management and say, let's wear the throwbacks. It was management coming to them and saying, we're going to wear the throwbacks We know there's problems here in Miami. We know the fans are upset. I do think that's a little interesting to keep an eye on, especially if the Dolphins were to drop these last two games. I think it's funny that the guy doesn't care what they wear, yet in every press conference you see him wearing a throwback or a logo. So I think he has a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of that in him. I think he loves that old logo, but. I, I, I think this is them, like we said last week, this is them trying to polish a turd. They realize that the season's hanging on by a thread. And what better way to fill that stadium than, you know, paint the end zones all nice, paint that logo in the middle of the field, have them come out in their throwbacks, which they're undefeated in. So I think a lot of it has to do with the four of that. I mean, but uh, why would a head coach care what they wear? I mean, he's going out there and laying turds against the Vikings in critical games because, you know, yeah, they just – 
met him at the wrong time. It, it was a must win for the Vikings, but yet, you know, the Dolphins were still alive in the playoff hunt. So I don't think the jerseys mean that much, but I do think from a administrative standpoint, what they're doing up above, I mean, they're trying to fill that stand. They're trying to get as much money out of the, the stands, out of the fans that they can. And I think by bringing in those jerseys, painting those end zones the way they did, I think that's going to help a lot this weekend. Speaking of turds, uh, Adeline made a couple announcements there. So I want to say good morning to Adeline. But for me, look, going into this game, I'm looking at what what are our young players going to do for us? <laughs> These guys that, quote-unquote, are in the young nucleus. I, w- I wouldn't mind to see a repeat of the Minnesota game with a different score outcome, obviously. But in that game, we had Kalen Balaj and, and Minka Fitzpatrick both make big plays for this team. So I would like to see – the you know the Jerome Bakers, the Bobby McCains, these guys step up and make plays for this team and see what we have in this young nucleus because either A, these guys make some plays and help us stay in playoff contention, or B, hopefully they're still making plays and we can identify who's in this young nucleus so we can see who we should be building around. Kalen Ballage will be getting the rock, his first 100-yard game in his NFL career last week. And we're going to see him rumble and tumble. And I'm really interested to see what he can do, Sutton, kind of as you were saying there, looking at the future of this team. And again, it's just a weird situation with the Dolphins having many paths to playoffs, some of them not realistic in terms of who their uh, opponents need to lose to or who the Dolphins need people to lose to. It's just, you know, we're trying to get excited about this game. We're trying to get excited about the Buffalo game, but history tells us that it's just not going to be a realistic possibility. But, hey, this team has proven us wrong many, many times before. We will see what happens when the Miami Dolphins take on the Jacksonville Jaguars at Hard Rock Stadium. We hope you got a lot of great analysis and insight on the Jaguars from Zach. And we'll be back with you after the game leading up to the final game against the Buffalo Bills. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes,
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.